Uh, welcome, everybody, to all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today and in Rochester. Welcome to you as well. I want to welcome those of you who are watching and joining us online as well around the country and world. We know that you are out there, and we consider you to be part of our congregation as well. So welcome, one and all. Glad you made it to church today. Uh, past couple weeks here at Eagle Brook have been really quite amazing. Um, two weeks ago, John Alexander challenged our entire church to give above and beyond our normal giving, above and beyond our tithing and normal giving, money that we would simply give away to partners uh, who mean a lot to us, and we have vetted them carefully, uh, partners who really uh, go after those, uh, minister to those who are less fortunate than most of us around the country and world and in our state of Minnesota. So, uh, you know, a one-week really push and the first push was $850,000 in week one, and then money still kept tri trickling in. So uh, the, the total now is $956,556.42. And it's amazing. It's just, just, just under a million dollars that we're just going to give away to people who are less fortunate than us. And I'm just so incredibly proud of this church for your generosity and giving in a way that is just really unheard of. And so way to go, church, for that. Uh, by the way, stop giving to that. <laughs> uh, the people in the finances said it's messing up our accounting, so I don't know what that means, but uh, now go back to normal giving, I guess, is what that means. But then last weekend, uh, we, we opened our ninth campus in the city of Rochester, Minnesota, and just under 1,200 people attended our first services there in Rochester. And so there's a photograph of that. And we are, we are still celebrating with you, Rochester. I mean, what is happening there is historic. And just wait to see what God's going to do. There were people, we heard stories from last week, people who are skeptical of church, not believers. You know, what's this Eaglebrook thing all about? And they came, and I think the story was that they enjoyed it, and they're coming back. So we just are trusting God to do a great thing there in that city in years ahead. Well, we are in a series called Picture Perfect Family because behind the smiles and poses of family portraits are very imperfect and flawed people. There is no such thing as a perfect family because there's no such thing as perfect people. I mean, you think of it. When one, when one sinner marries another sinner, you double the trouble. You toss in a couple sinnerlings, and it's amazing any family makes it at all. For many of you, your family is the source of great love and joy. But for others of you, it's the source of great pain. You know, what should have been a place of nurture and safety was instead a place of danger and abuse that caused untold heartache for you. But even the best families, I can tell you, have heartache. Even picture-perfect families have hidden secrets of misconduct and regret that never show up in the portraits. But as imperfect as every family is, including mine, I have never met anybody who didn't want to be a part of a loving family unit so I want to offer some hope today because I've seen some families who are pretty hopeless turn that deal around. 
Uh, three weeks ago, I, I met a man for lunch, which I don't do very often these days, and I met him at a restaurant 23 miles from our office, which again, I don't do that either. Uh, we had a great meeting, and as we ended our meeting and stepped out the door of this little Asian restaurant, a 20-something kid stopped cold in the parking lot. He was coming, we were going. Stopped cold in the parking lot, stared me down, and said, I can't believe this. I can't believe this is happening. So I walked up to him, shook his hand. I said, I'm Bob Merritt. He was visibly shaking. He said, I'm Zach. I just can't believe this. He said, look at my car. I've got the sticker and everything on it. <laughs> I said, man, Zach, that's awesome. I said, how long have you been coming to church? He said, 10 months. He said, look at my phone. He showed me his phone. I was just listening to your podcast from June in 2014. He said, I listen to one or two every single day. I said, well, man, do you have a minute? I'd like to get to know you a little bit. Why don't we step back in? It was kind of chilly outside. Step back in the restaurant, which made him shake even more. But we, st we sat in the doorway of this tiny little restaurant over near Stillwater. And Zach said, I just came from the DMV right next door to this place where I became a legal driver again. And he had to get his car fixed for a breathalyzer. And he was rejoicing over that, texting his mom and dad. And the very next moment, the very next person he bumps into is me. Zach is just 10 months sober, was addicted to alcohol and heroin, went through treatment six times. And finally, he said, I just had to surrender to Jesus to save me or I wasn't going to make it. And I sat there listening to his story of being lost and addicted and separated from his family. And I thought, this is the thought that went through my brain. Meeting this kid in a random parking lot today is no accident. And so I said to him, I said, Zach, I want you to remember this moment. This was no accident for you. I've never been to this restaurant. I rarely go out to lunch. I'm 23 miles from my office. I rarely do that. And you've never been to this restaurant. You just happen to be here because the DMV is right next door. I said, so Zach, remember this moment. This is God's tangible sign for you that he loves you, that he's for you, and that he's with you. I mean, right after you got legal to drive again, right after you were listening to one of our podcasts, texting your mom and dad, God said, I'm going to surprise you with something. Not that I'm anything special, by the way. <laughs> but Zach told me that he's an avid Milwaukee Brewer fan, which, you know, that's great. Avid fan of Milwaukee Brewers. And he said, if he had a choice to meet the National League MVP, a uh, uh, Milwaukee Brewer, Christian Yelich, or me, he said it would be me. <laughs> and we kind of look alike. You know, I wish he'd tell my wife and kids that, but I prayed for him. I hugged him. And I said, Zach, I'd love to meet your parents. So three weeks ago, they, they came and we met after a service and they told me about the years of heartache and then the gut-wrenching decision to cut off all support until Zach hit rock bottom and could find his own way. And all three of them were wiping away tears as they expressed their love for God and for each other and for this church. And I tell you that story because the Bible says this, that nothing is impossible with God. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe this? I actually believe this verse. 
That there's not a single thing going on in your life or mine. There's not a single thing on this planet. There is nothing that's impossible with God. 2 Corinthians 7 says it this way. I love this verse. Outside, there was conflict from every direction. Anybody having that happen right now? Outside, battles from every direction. And inside, there was fear. But God. This is some of your world. This is some of your lives right now. Battles on the outside, fear on the inside. But God. Anybody can relate to this? Just battles. Battles all over. Battles on the outside, creating fear on the inside. But God, I'm telling you, can save you. God can heal you, restore you, and do a miracle for you. Maybe your family's not in crisis like Zach's family was. But whether you're in crisis or not, I'm going to give you four things that I believe every family needs, including mine. And these four things actually could prevent a crisis. So, so glad you're here. So glad you're dialed in wherever you might be. First thing every family needs, every family needs forgiveness. I need it every day. I screw up every single day. Every family needs forgiveness. There was a point where Zach's parents had to cut off support from him, and sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes it is so hopeless and so egregious that you got to draw a hard line. Say, we're done with this until you get this squared away. What I love is that when Zach turned around, his parents were ready to forgive. I wish you could have seen the tears and tenderness between Zach and his dad. You, you could see, actually see the forgiveness spilling out of his dad. I can tell you, gang, forgiveness is a choice. You will never feel like forgiving someone. Don't, don't wait for your feel. Oh, I'm waiting for these warmth. I'm I just waiting, waiting to feel. You're not going to feel like forgiving anybody who wronged you. Forgiveness is a choice. It's an act of the will, and you have to choose to do it because no relationship can survive without forgiveness. Colossians 3 says it this way, bear with each other. It means put up. Put up with each other because we're all annoying. <laughs> bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievance, and we all have them. Whatever ticks you off. Well, I know it's annoying. But bear with each other, forgive whatever grievance you may have for one another. And here's the payoff for forgiveness. Here's the deal. And the peace of Christ, if you do this, will rule in your heart. Do you have the peace of Christ that is ruling, you know, filling your heart, the payoff for forgiveness is peace. And the only way to get it is to forgive. Somebody has to say, even though you wronged me, even though you caused me loss and pain, I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to let that go. You're not excusing what they did. 
you are choosing to just kind of set it aside and say, I'm going to let that one pass. Now, if the person continues to be abusive, continues to be unfaithful and reckless, it does not mean you should trust that person. You probably shouldn't. Doesn't mean you should let that person into your life or subject yourself to their abuse. But I'm telling you, gang, if you want peace in your soul and in your family, you're going to have to learn to forgive, to say to God, God, I am giving this to you. I no longer want to carry this bitterness that's eating me alive. I'm going to give this to you. And God, I'm going to trust that you're going to deal with this person in the way that they deserve. Every family needs forgiveness to survive. Second, every family needs healthy individuals. It's kind of a duh. But you're only, your family is only good, as good as each person in it. So how good are you? How healthy are you? What do you bring to the family? Do you bring life and joy? Are you a lifter or are you a drag? I mean, some people just suck the life right out of their family. They're like leeches. They just suck. You know, some people are like that. And so I want to ask you, how good are you? How healthy are you? Are you? Every family needs healthy individuals. A guy came up to me after a church service a few years ago, and he said, man, I'm a mess. And he looked like it. He said, I lost my marriage. My kids are rebellious. They don't want to go to church. What do I do? So I probed around, and he admitted his own spiritual life was lacking. And so I said, look, I don't mean to be harsh, but you got to lead the way. In your family, and I, I say this to dads all the time. Dads, you have to lead the way in your family to church if you don't have a dad, moms. But dads, you are so critical, whether your kids are 3, 43, or 63. Keep leading the way, and your kids may follow. If you're not leading the way spiritually, if you're not making a habit of going, forget about your kids. Forget about your grandkids. They're going to be lost, chances are. So I said, you've got to show your kids that you're serious about God and faith. If your kids, I said to this guy, don't want to go to church, you go anyway. Start leading the way and showing them what's important to you. So he did. He started coming to church alone every weekend, and God started to speak to him. And a few weeks later, he put his full trust in Jesus and the change was visible. He was happier. He was kinder, less selfish. Three years later, the same guy comes up to me. And he says, guess who's sitting with me every single week in church? My teenage kids. And we're doing so well. And it all goes back to what you told me about leading the way. And being a spiritually healthy person myself. By the way, healthy people identify their flaws and take steps to correct them. So what are some possible flaws or sins that tend to damage families? 
Well, the Bible lists, in almost every sin list the Bible has, lists sexual sin as the number one cause that'll damage families in any, any form, whether it's pornography or cheating or flirt, whatever it is. Sexual sin will kill a family. So will anger. If you have bursts of anger, that's not your family's issue. That's your issue that you need to get help with and gain self-control over with God's help. For some of you, it's dishonesty. You simply can't be trusted. And family members know that and pick that up. Or maybe it's an addiction. You can't build a family on these, on these issues, on these flaws. You know, what's damaging many families, and by the way, this has been a difficult one for me to overcome, and I'm still dealing with it, is harsh words. You know, James 3 says the tongue is such a small thing, just a small muscle. But look at this, what enormous damage our words do. Can ruin your life. Can ruin your family's life. A single word, a single phrase or sentence that's cutting or hurtful. Some of you are saying, but Bob, I'm not the problem in my family. I'm not the problem. It's my spouse, the kids, and the dog. I know, it's the same in my family. Everybody else is the problem. But I want to tell you, if you want a great family, you have to address your own sin because a great family starts with you, not with anybody else. So what do you need to work on to be a lifter, a person of health and healing? Third thing every family needs is you got to manage the little things. Manage the little things. A couple of years ago, I was out training my dog on, on pheasants, on birds, with a young guy who's married with three kids. And he said six years ago, their marriage was in deep trouble. He said it was the little things that was causing trouble. In fact, he said this. He said, the toilet seat was a huge source of conflict. You know, usually it's dishonesty or anger or drunkenness, but he said, in our situation, it was the toilet seat, and I was just stubborn about it. He said, I thought, you know, if I lift it up, she can put it down, and we battled over this, this stupid thing until it really became a contentious issue. Now, fortunately, they sought counseling, and finally, their counselor looked at the guy and said, she's going to divorce you. Put the toilet seat down. <laughs> he said it saved their marriage. I mean, that, that single statement was communicating to him, it's these little things that we're just stubborn about, we're prideful about. I'm telling you, gang, nobody suddenly falls out of love. They don't just suddenly wake up, oh, I'm not in love anymore. Nobody suddenly has an affair. It's little compromises along the way. Little things. No one suddenly begins to resent their family. It's all these little things that kind of build. On the other hand, this is so important to hear. Having just said that, every person in the family has to learn to let some things go. Because we're human. We have flaws, we're annoying, we do things that are annoying. So my wife has had to overlook things like pheasant feathers in the sink and a deer carcass under the deck, just normal stuff. 
But those are little things. Just overlook it. Don't have a hissy fit over that. You know, I, she doesn't. That's just a, a phrase that we use, right? I've had to accept that she'll never eat venison. Used to drive me crazy. Free meat. Uh, I, I've, I've had to overlook. And this is, this is a minor thing. It used to drive me crazy. But she will take my fork away before I'm done eating because she likes to clean up and have everything clean. And I'm like, I'm just halfway through it. I used to get all worked up about this. Now I just get up and get another fork. <laughs> or two or three. I mean, I think the record's like three. <laughs> because here's the deal, gang. All of us are annoying. We all are. We're human. And if you pick on every little thing, it's going to destroy your life. And destroy your family. First Corinthians says it this way. Wouldn't it be better just to let yourselves be wronged? Kind of a weird verse. It just means let some stuff go. If you make a big deal out of every little thing, you're going to lose your marriage. You're going to lose your family. Manage the little things. Fight. Fourth. Fourth today. Every family needs affirmation. This is so important. There's not a person alive who doesn't need regular doses of affirmation, encouragement. I don't know about you, but I'm very insecure. And I need to be assured every day that I'm loved, that I'm forgiven and valued and cherished. Man, affirmation for me is like oxygen that just lets me breathe and feel good about who I am. And I can tell you that every child, whether they're three or 43, needs to be affirmed every single day. Your husband needs affirmation. Your, your wife needs affirmation every day. Some of you are saying, but Bob, there's nothing to affirm. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's tough. I talked to a few parents a while ago, and one woman said, my son swears at me all the time. Another lady said, Lydia, my daughter, told me to shut up. Can you believe that? Just told me to shut up. So it's hard to find things to affirm sometimes. But I'm telling you, it's there. I want you to see what the Bible says about your children and about your spouse, if you have one. About your siblings, if you have them. About every human being who's here. I want you to see what the Bible says about you. And those in your family, look what it says, for you, God, created my inmost being. God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. It means that God thought about every little detail as he is stitching you together, knitting you together in your mother's womb. You are, you are a one of a kind. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully, and look at this word, I am wonderfully made. The Bible says that your son or daughter has been wonderfully made. Marred by sin, for sure. Sinful. Little monsters, for sure. <laughs> but wonderfully made. Your spouse has been wonderfully made, marred by sin. Your parents, goofy as heck, maybe. 
but wonderfully made. It's hard to see it because of sin sometimes, but beneath all of that is a person who's been wonderfully made perfectly in the image of God. And I assure you, every child doubts that about him, him or herself. They don't believe that they're wonderfully made. They don't believe that they're, that they're beautiful, valued, gifted, or smart because mostly what they hear at school or on social media is how unattractive, dumb, and worthless they are. So look again at this verse. I want every one of you to leave here today knowing that you are loved and you are valued by God. Notice verse who, first who it is who, who made you. The verse says, you, God. Created my inmost being, you, God. You were God's idea. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God made you. God made your children just the way he wanted to make you according to his perfect plan. Notice second how you and how your children are made if you have them. Thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. Now, this word complex comes from the same root word as complicated. That's why kids can drive their parents crazy sometimes because they're complicated. That's why we misunderstand each other because it's so complex which is why you have to approach each child differently. Isn't this true? You know, one, one kid comes out of the chute happy and compliant, just boom. And the next kid comes out with their jaw set saying, I'm going to push you every single day for the first seven years of my life. It's going to be ugly. I mean, the same, same deal. I mean, it's just that's the way they came out. And... It's because they're wonderfully complex. Notice third, what God says about every person here. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, God. Your workmanship is what? Marvelous. Do you think that about yourself? You should. God says, you're marvelous. You're, you're marvelous work of God. Other translations say masterpiece. You're a masterpiece or perfect just how God wanted you and your child to be. And I want to ask a question. If you have a daughter, is that how you view her? As marvelous, perfectly created the way God wanted her? Is that how you view your son if you have one as a masterpiece, perfectly designed by God? Man, it's a parent's job to make sure their children hear how valued they are because I am telling you, that gets assaulted every single day. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, but Bob, what about when my child lies, cheats, throws fits, treats me like crap? What about, what about consequences and bad behavior? Well, there's two dynamics. As a parent, you have to understand this. On the one hand, do I think my kids are worthy of being affirmed and loved? Absolutely. On the other hand, do I think my kids are sinners who need correction and discipline? Absolutely. So as a parent, I have to help my children, whom I love and cherish, and grandchildren, by the way, learn. I have to help them learn that the same sin and darkness that plagues my life is a part of their life, and if not dealt with, will eventually destroy their life. Their friendships, career, you name it. 
So there's two things. You got to figure that out. They need to be affirmed. They also need to be corrected and disciplined. But I'm telling you, every child, every single child is starving for affirmation. To hear their dad say, I love you. I'm so proud of you. To hear their mom say, I'm so glad you're my son. I'm so glad you're my daughter. Every child needs it. Several years ago, I would say to my son after basketball games, I'd say, Dave, you played a great game, but, but you need to drive harder to the hoop. Move your feet on defense. Crash the boards. And I said it with some edge. My one affirmation, you played a great game, got washed out by three criticisms. Finally, one day, my wife pulled me aside. She said, Bob, he wants your approval so badly that he's almost afraid to try for fear he'll fail you. To this day, I regret saying those things. Author John Eldridge, you ought to read John Eldridge, by the way. If you're not, you should. Dads especially, parents. John Eldridge calls this the father wound. He says that most fathers end up wounding their sons. Verbally, you know, being harsh, not being around. Most fathers wound their sons and their daughters, and that wound goes deep. Eldridge says it this way, every son craves his father's approval, and if he doesn't get it, he'll spend the rest of his life feeling deeply insecure, unworthy, and never good enough, and end up acting out in weird ways. How often do we need to encourage and affirm our children. I think every single day. Hebrews, Bible says it this way. Encourage one another daily. Why daily? Because we get discouraged every day. Battles on the outside come at us every single day. Fear on the inside. So encourage one another daily. He goes on to say it this way. Let's think of ways to encourage each other. Think of ways. Look for ways. Make up ways. Send a text today. Easy to do. How come we don't do that? I've been trying to pay attention to the little promptings that the Holy Spirit gives me in my life just to send a, an encouraging text to someone. Let's look for ways to do that. About 15 years ago, our family took a three-day trip along the North Shore in Minnesota, and that February, I was not doing well emotionally. We unpacked our stuff, and I realized that I'd packed all of the skis, but I forgot the ski boots. And that was just enough to tip me over the edge. And so I started saying things like, how can I be expected to keep track of everything? How can I be responsible for the kids' stuff, my stuff, everybody else's stuff? I was just blown off steam that had built up over several weeks. Well, by day three, my lousy mood had pretty much ruined the trip. But I thought maybe a three-mile family hike to Carlton Peak would lift our spirits. When I mentioned this hike to the family, nobody responded. Silence. So I guilted them into going. In silence, in protest, finally about halfway up the mountain, I turned around, I began lecturing everyone about their attitude. 
and about family vacations. And is this the thanks I get for sacrificing for all of you? Well, by then, two were crying and two were just spitting mad. And so he turned around and went back. That afternoon, it was pretty quiet around the condo. I went off by myself to a room alone. The others went off by themselves. And an hour later, I heard a soft knock on my door. And it was my 14-year-old daughter, Meg. She came up to my room and she handed me a card that she had made. And then without saying a word, she turned and walked away. On the front, it said, Dad. And I turned it over. And this was that card. I still have it. I'm sorry for having a bad attitude. For ruining your time. For being selfish. Please forgive me. Love, Mick. And it broke my heart. Because it was me who had the bad attitude. It was me who was angry. It was me who God had to change, not my daughter, not my son, not my wife. I held on to that card for a full year. And every time I had it stuck in my Bible, every time I opened my Bible, every single day I looked at Meg's note. And I was reminded over and over that the person who needed to change most in my family was me. I went into counseling after that for a full year. Probably saved me. Changed me. Might have saved my family, might have saved my marriage. Well, a year later, we were on the North Shore again, and it was day three again, and it was, a, it was one of those Minnesota crystal clear mornings. It was cold, seven degrees, and it just snowed. Beautiful white snow. And it had been a great three days. I made sure of it, and we were just hanging out when my daughter came up, and she said, Dad, do you want to take a hike, just you and me? And it was such a gift, because I knew it was her way of forgiving me. For a full year, I had carried that failure in my heart, and Megan was giving me a second chance, and I will carry that memory with me for the rest of my life. It was a fantastic day. Gang, can I tell you, the biggest problem in my family is me. I need to forgive more. I need to manage the little things better. I need to stay spiritually healthy myself and lead the way. And I need to affirm daily those who God has put in my life. Our family will never be perfect. No family is. But with God's help, I pray that it'll get better and better and better. Some of you have fantastic families. Do you, do you know how rare that is today? Some of you actually love each other. You love being with each other. Man, cherish that. 
protect your family, pray for your family. You know, do everything you can to make sure you're building into your family. Others of you here today, though, many of you, don't have much of a family at all. Maybe your family of origin got blown apart by addiction or just severe dysfunction. Maybe somebody walked out. So you're sitting here saying, Bob, I don't have much of a family. You know, my prayer all week long has been this, that God will give you another family. God is the God of the impossible. He can do this. If you're a younger person, not married yet, maybe someday God will give you, you know, a spouse and you can be the one to build a great family and break whatever happened in the past. Some of you will never marry, perhaps, maybe not get married again. But the Bible says that the church is called the family of God. It uses family terms. It, it calls believers brothers and sisters in Christ, that God is our heavenly father. These are family terms. And so if, if your family is non-existent or you don't have much hope there, let the church be your family. Let your small group be your family. And I'm telling you, God will breathe new life into your soul. Uh, let's pray together as we close our time at all camps. Just stay seated where you are and, and let's just pray. God, thanks so much for your word. Thank you for the fact that families were your idea. Sometimes we wonder why. It gets so hard. And it's just every day there's some kind of contentious issue that rises up in most families. But God, I pray today will be a new day for a lot of families, a lot of people. I pray, God, that you will give us all the ability to choose forgiveness. You give us the ability to manage the little things. What are the things that just we got to let go? God, help us to remain spiritually strong and healthy ourselves. And if that's not the case, God, I pray that we'll take steps beginning today. Make church a priority. Make reading the Bible a part of our life. Reading good books. Being around godly people. And then, God, I pray that we'll be people who affirm each other, encourage each other, because we all need it. Lord, bring healing to those who are hurting today, I pray. Do that miracle even now as we pray, God. There are people who are hurting all over the place. I just pray that you'll heal them. Let them know you love them. Wonderfully made. A masterpiece. Created in your image. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a fantastic day, everybody. God bless you.